Direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis, you're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gun Works. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Cape Gunworks and Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Join us each and every week for Rapid Fire and get signed up to be alerted whenever we go live. This is your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And hold on, we got an interruption. She's jumping the gun here, wants to know what the gun of the week is. And we haven't got to that part yet. But anyway, um, so thank you for joining us each and every week. Um, this show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. So make sure you go check out um, all of the great products that Vortex offers and that we have the full vo- lineup here at Cape Gunworks. So if you're ever in the shop, make sure you look at, at them. I'm kind of an optic snob myself, so I love the Razer HD line, as well as the uh, CCW Defender Red Dot site for the compact pistols like my SIG 365XL. That's what sits atop it, and it's awesome. So check that out. And also, make sure you go to Rapid Fire, I'm sorry, uh, uscca.co slash Rapid Fire to get a very special discount and deal on uh, USCCA membership. It's the membership you may not realize you actually need uh, should you ever need legal and financial protection in the event of any type of self-defense incident, whether with or without a gun. Go to uscca.co slash rapid fire to get signed up, not to mention all the other benefits to membership like their interactive map for traveling across the country, what the laws are in each individual state, um, plus their great library of resources for classes and books and DVDs, et cetera, et cetera. So check it out. And uh, it's pretty cool, um, pretty cool stuff and uh, serious legal protection. All right. I apologize in advance for my froggy throat. I woke up uh, feeling a little under the weather. So there you have that, but I'm uh, hoping um, 
that I make it through <laughs> the whole show. So it's going to be rough. Let's put it that way on my end. But I got some uh, blackout coffee flowing. I got a polar seltzer at arm's reach. I got some Ricola, uh, you know, throat lozenges. So we're going to make it happen. Um, so good stuff. Um, and man, no shortage of stuff to talk about, guys. This is, uh, it's like a smorgasbord lately of gun stuff uh, going on. So we're going to get into a lot of the, uh, a lot of that, um, you know, and talk about the news of the day. Breaking news. Yes, we'll get into some of the breaking news. So about that, uh, I teased out yesterday that I wanted to talk about a story that we didn't get to last week. And this is about the Times Square shooting by illegal immigrant uh, and it, how it destroys the sensitive area gun ban argument. So for those of you who don't know, there was a 15-year-old who was caught shooting. Again, you know, just think of all the boxes that this checks. Illegal immigrant, 15 years old, shooting in a gun-free zone. Like, how does this happen? How? How? Like, there's, there's, uh, there's 80 million laws on the books that this kid broke. The first one being in the country, and the second one, uh, you know, illegal possession of a firearm. The third one, shooting at somebody. So anyway, let's jump into the story. Um, a wild shooting incident, and this is, by the way, AmmoLand.com by... F. Real, the editor-in-chief. A wild shooting incident in New York City's Times Square demolishes any argument by Mayor Eric Adams, Governor Kathy Hochul, and Democrat lawmakers in Albany that their so-called sensitive area gun ban prevents violent crime. Gee, you think? The Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms said, New York police are searching for the armed suspect, now identified as illegal immigrant, who left a female shopper wounded and fired shots at responding officers. He was described as a Hispanic male between 15 and 20 years old. The law obviously didn't prevent him from being armed, CCRKBA noted. So much for the New York City's sensitive area blanket designation, which leaves honest citizens and merchants helpless in Times Square. And anywhere else such laws are in place, said CCRKBA, Chairman Alan Gottlieb. The problem in New York is not that all of the dangerous people are on the streets committing crime. Some of the danger is found in Albany and in City Hall among people who write laws that leaves honest citizens defenseless against criminal attack. And that is the most obvious part of the equation that if you deny that fact, you are willfully ignorant. And I'm just going to digress for a minute. I was talking with a state senator yesterday and today, as a matter of fact, and I, I got another meeting set up, um, who agrees 100% with that sentiment. He has zero um, stomach or will to expand sensitive locations. 
they all recognize gun-free zones as failures that they are. And so the failure that a gun-free zone is, it's disarming good people who follow the law and try to do everything right without running afoul because they value their fragilely held together right to keep and bear arms in whatever state this is imposed in. And so they comply with unconstitutional laws so that they can continue to own guns. But all the while, criminals don't give a rip what law or what sign you put up, as we see here in Times Square, as we see every day in gun-free zones, shootings, as we saw in uh, you know all the recent uh, school shootings, et cetera, et cetera. And common sense says you want good, responsible gun owners armed in places that psychopathic, evil, mentally deranged killers go to kill people. Um, we saw this shooting in Houston on Sunday at Joel Olstein's megachurch in Texas. And this psycho deranged trans uh, person brings their son in all, all the while with two long guns into a church to kill people because they hate Jews. Like this checks so many weird boxes. I don't even know what to, where to start on that. Hates Jews, goes to a Christian church and wants to kill people. Like that doesn't make sense. But anyway, um, it just goes to show the capacity of evil and what, what it looks like. So if I can get back on track here with the story, um, disarming good people, never a good idea. It's a failure. So uh, anyway, um, I totally agree with Democrat politicians that violent crime committed with firearms is horrible, Gottlieb continued. And I think we would all agree with that. I only wish they would stop passing laws that make it easier for people to be victimized by violent criminals that these same politicians keep putting back on the streets with their insane policies. CCRKBA criticized the sensitive areas law from the moment it was adopted. The Democrat majority in Albany created the current mess trying to be too clever by half in an effort to get around the U.S. Supreme Court ruling of the 2022 Bruin case, which struck down the state's unconstitutional concealed carry law, Gottlieb said. Aside from the likelihood the perpetrator of the Times Square shooting is a juvenile who couldn't legally carry a gun in the first place, Gottlieb observed, the entire incident underscores what is wrong with restrictive gun control laws in New York and everywhere else. These laws only penalize and restrict the law-abiding citizens while criminals flagrantly ignore them. The rest of us understand this. We're wondering why the politicians haven't figured it out all this time. So that's my question. Um, you got this kid, 15 years old, shooting at a woman and shooting at cops when they came to arrest him. And one of his collaborators, um, by the way, also was released and uh, Firearms Policy Coalition tweeted about it today that says nearly two years after New York lawmakers banned firearms in Times Square, a 15-year-old accused of shooting and injuring a tourist while shoplifting last week 
is facing no additional charges for bringing a gun into a so-called sensitive location. So think about that. I am of the impression now that we've said it for a while, but we are seeing it come to fruition before our eyes, and they're not even trying to hide the fact that gun laws are designed for one thing and one thing only, to restrict the law-abiding. They are backdoor, unconstitutional gun bans. They never, ever, ever intended or had the capacity to prevent criminal activity from actually committing crime. They can't prevent crime from being committed, and they don't use it as a weapon to prosecute violent criminals. Its only intention is a backdoor, unconstitutional violation of your Second Amendment freedoms. And this is a further testimony of it. So there's an article on thegothamist.com, nearly two years after New York lawmakers banned firearms, the Times Square, to prevent gun violence, to prevent gun violence. I, I see nonstop Twitter videos of people using guns in broad daylight and at night to commit horrible acts of violence in Times Square. A 15-year-old accused of shooting and injuring a Taurus while shoplifting facing no additional charges for bringing a gun into the so-called sensitive location. A judge ruled Tuesday to keep the teenager in jail as he awaits trial as an adult on several counts of attempted murder, criminal possession of a loaded firearm, and assault with intent to cause injury with a weapon, according to court records. How that's, like, that charge alone seems very secondary or tertiary to the fact that he shot someone right? So attempted murder, criminal possession, loaded firearm, blah, blah, blah. But then the add-on charge of intent to cause injury with a weapon, he did cause injury. Like you don't have to give him an intent charge. He actually did. And the fact that he won't have any additional charges for bringing a gun into that sensitive area is unbelievable. Um, Prosecutors did not charge him with criminal possession of a weapon in a sensitive location, the charge attached to breaking the new law. As of early November, only three people in the entire state faced a top charge of criminal possession of a firearm in a sensitive location, and none of those had been in Times Square, according to the state data. At least one other person accused of opening fire in Times Square since the law took effect in September 2022, was also not charged with violating the new law. <laughs> That's great. Great use of a new law, right? While advocates for the law maintain it is a needed deterrent in high traffic areas, guess who it's deterring? It's deterring the guy and gal who doesn't want to lose their right to keep and bear arms. That's it. It's not deterring criminals. Critics say that the fact that prosecutors aren't using it when someone is accused of shooting a gun in Times Square shows the law effective, law's effectiveness is limited. Imaginary lines don't stop criminals from breaking the law, said Luis Valdez, a national spokesman for Gun Owners of America, a nonprofit group that has challenged New York's gun laws in court. 
Valdez, a former law enforcement officer, said prosecutors already have the tools they need to change to charge the defendant in this case with other felonies, including attempted murder. So they don't need an extra charge for bringing a firearm into the gun-free zone. He called the New York's gun-free zone law useless. Prosecutors say the suspect, and before I go on, the fact of the matter is that as Don and Stoughton so, you know, always points out very well, is you need, if the law is constitutional, then you need to show a concrete need for said law. And I always say these laws are solutions in search of problems. So if you can't show the concrete need, if three people in a state the size of New York have been charged with bringing a gun into a sensitive location, there is no concrete need for said law because the bottom line is they they don't, um, if you think about it, they don't have this epidemic of people bringing guns into sensitive locations. Or if they do, they don't actually charge people with it. Um, so to me, it's just off the wall and, um, you know, it's, it's insulting to any, um, person who is paying attention. All right. Prosecutors say that the suspect in the Times Square shooting last Thursday fired at JD sports employee who tried to stop him from stealing merchandise and hit a nearby tourist in the leg. By the way, if you're a tourist, why the heck are you going to, um, Times Square in this day and age. I, I get that it's a cool place to visit. My wife and I love going there. But I got to tell you, I'm not a fan when I go to um, Times Square and I see police carrying AR-15s and I can't protect myself. I don't like that feeling. Um, it's It's a terrible feeling. But anyway, Doug Cohen, a spokesman for the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg. We all know he's not a politically motivated hack. Declined to comment on why the office did not charge um, for possession of a weapon in a sensitive location. Uh, a classy felony punishable by up to four years in prison. But noted the defendant already faces a more serious charge. Amy Swearer, a legal scholar and conservative for the Heritage Foundation, said, it seems like the law's goal is only to charge people who carry guns for self-defense. Thank you, Amy. But don't actually use them to commit crimes. I think that is incoherent, Swearer said. You are essentially suggesting that the only reason you would charge someone with this offense is if it's the only offense you could charge them with, which would suggest they probably were not the type of violent perpetrator who was causing problems in the first place. Common sense on full display, as usual from Amy Swear. But David Puccino, legal director for the Giffords Law Center, a gun violence prevention organization. Ironically, how do they prevent gun violence with anything they do? They don't. They never have and never will with the methodology that they employ, which is to disarm good people instead of violent criminals. And I had somebody ask me yesterday, 
um, if anything in this bill for the state of Massachusetts, whether the Senate or the House version, is going to do anything about getting violent criminals off the streets? And the answer is absolutely not, because it's there's there's no criminal penalty to it. It's only directed at the lawful person who just, you know, is going to further have to meander their way through. Back to what David Pusino said. Even though the Manhattan DA's office did not bring a sensitive location charge in the recent Times Square case, the law still deters people from carrying guns in high traffic areas. And that's their whole ball game is to try to deter you and I from choosing to carry a gun because we don't want to be exposed to the criminal element alive and well on the streets of New York and not uh, put to the full sentence of for their crimes. So anyway, we'll open up the phones here on the other side of the break. Um, it's 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the line with me, um, that's 508-444-2120. We got way too much to talk to, so I can't continue with this story that makes me want to butt my head against the wall anyway because of how insane it is. But again, it comes down to they don't care about the criminals. They need the criminals to further their agenda of gun control and gun confiscation. Uh, but anyway, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm struggling. Sorry about that. Uh, my voice is a mess. But it is your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. If you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And also, like, subscribe share, comment, and spread the word far and wide wherever you find us on social media, at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio. We also have a poll going on Twitter. It is the Rapid Fire Radio Twitter poll. I dropped a link in the chat. Please go over and vote. Let your voice be heard. And uh, the 
poll question today is some think, myself included, that the GVRs, which stands for uh, granted cert, vacated the lower court's ruling and remanded back to the lower court uh, from the Supreme Court after Bruin are so that the lower courts can get it right in light of Bruin and will do away with the assault weapons ban and mag capacity cases. Some believe the courts were only saying the methodology is wrong, but not necessarily the result. I find it hard to believe that you can go through the process of text, history, and tradition, or the historical analog, and conclude that an assault weapons ban and mag capacity ban is in keeping with our country's text, history, and tradition. What do you think? If the Supreme Court takes an assault weapons ban case and a mag capacity ban case, will it uphold the assault weapons ban and mag capacity laws? Will it overturn them or will they not take a case? Currently, we have 72% say it'll overturn them and 27% say that they won't take the case and 0% says that it will uphold uh, that it'll uphold the assault weapons ban and mag capacity laws. So I think that most of you are thinking along the lines like I do, but uh, if you haven't voted, please go over to Twitter um, and go to the Cape Gunworks page and vote in our poll and uh, let me know what you think. Sound off in the comments too as to why you think what you think. Um, and like I said before, like and subscribe and drop a share while you're there. Um, the reason I got this thought was actually from talking to a Second Amendment lawyer who said, you guys are nuts if you think the assault weapons ban and mag capacity laws are going away. And I'm like, what? This is the first time I'd heard a lawyer talk like this. And he said, yeah, no. The fact that they GVR'd these cases has nothing to do with them denying an assault weapons ban or a magazine capacity ban case. And I said, how so? He goes, all the, they didn't do the analysis of whether assault weapons ban or mag capacity ban cases are lawful or constitutional. All they did was say the way you got there was wrong. So go back and, and redo the case in light of the historical text tradition and analog and text of the Second Amendment. And I said, okay, well, isn't that one and the same? He said, absolutely not. He said that uh, you you basically, um, you got to do the methodology correct, but you could still end up at the same result. I don't understand that for a minute, how that's possible, how you could look at the text of the Second Amendment and say, there's room in there for an outright ban on a type of weapon. Then you look at the Heller mandate, which said a gun that is in common and ordinary use and is useful for offensive or defensive purposes cannot be banned, can't categorically be banned. And Bruin basically took that same methodology and gave the inferior courts the paint-by-number 
the paint by number um, approach to how to rule on those cases. So where in the text and the history and tradition of our, our country as it was written in 1791, does, does it provide for a categorical ban of any type of weapon? I, I don't see one. So that's a question I have for all of my legal scholars in the audience. Excuse me one sec. I apologize. I'm dying over here. So uh, I, <laughs> I have to mute myself every once in a while. Um, so there you have that. That's my poll question for the day on Twitter. And I ask you because... It seems like we have different legal scholars coming at it from different legal places. I know, um, uh, what's his name? I think it's um, Washington Gun Law, a great um, legal scholar there that I posted a video about yesterday. Um, and the Washington Gun Law president, William Kirk, put out a, uh, a great video on YouTube about this. Um, so did Mark Smith from the Four Boxes Diner. They both uh, really knocked it out of the park and, and uh, you know, explain the cases before the Supreme Court right now, which is huge. So um, I'm going to take a quick break, try to get my throat clear, and uh, we'll talk about that on the other side. It's going to be a very interesting discussion because I'm really excited about it, and it's, it's super cool. So let's check that out. Um, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, who's dying a little bit here. And uh, I apologize, but we got so much to cover. I'm going to I'm going to battle through it. Um, so, uh, yeah, the um, we got four cases right now before the Supreme Court um, that have been petitioned to the Supreme Court. Uh, there's three out of. Illinois alone, and one out of Maryland. So the success, the chances of success of one of these cases hitting the mark and getting being granted cert, I think is huge. Um, so they're they're looking to get certiorari uh, at the Supreme Court level, and this is really what we need uh, because we have so many district courts. And, and so many court of appeals that have ruled either upheld or overturned state's assault weapons ban that it's high time the Supreme Court weigh in on it. This was my criticism of the Supreme Court after Bruin was they merely granted cert and uh, vacated the lower court's ruling and remanded it back to the lower courts to do it all over again in light of uh, the Bruin mandate. 
and um, the Heller mandate. So the four cases before the Supreme Court is, uh, I think it's Frosch in Maryland, and then we have Harold B. Raul, which is a 2AF case, Barnett versus Raul, which is a Gun Owners of America case, and we have Beavis versus Naperville, which is a Nagger case, the National Association for Gun Rights. So I would love to see all of those get combined and have a synergistic uh, group of lawyers working on this, like the most, the top legal minds in the country, frankly, are working on this. And so that would be amazing. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think that the Supreme Court really needs to do it, frankly. Uh, we have the hateful eight uh, states like Massachusetts, New York, uh, Hawaii, Connecticut, Maryland, California, uh, Illinois, and I guess Washington and Oregon technically fit into that. So it's really up to like nine. The hateful eight is a, a term for the eight states that don't allow suppressors. But that, that usually coincides with um, what states have an assault weapons ban. And there's a lot that are pending. A lot of states are thinking about having an assault weapons ban. They're exploring it right now. So, so we got to keep our eyes peeled. Um, the There's some... People talking about also, Roger Katz wrote an article about this today on uh, bearing arms, or excuse me, on ammo land. And it's an opinion piece that the lower courts have grown increasingly disdainful following U.S. Supreme Court rulings and reasoning, looking at uh, Harrell versus Raul, which is one of the ones that got petitioned up to uh, the Supreme Court. It is high time that the U.S. Supreme Court assert its Article Three authority against forces that dare to crush the common man's liberty and freedom. Amen to that. I said that about the Hawaii uh, situation where they basically told the Supreme Court, F you and you got it wrong and we're our own body and, uh, you know, spirit of aloha, et cetera, et cetera. Two weeks after the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision in Bruin, New York's Governor Kathy Hochul defied the court. She signed into law New York's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. This improved things for the citizens of New York. The Second Circuit sided with her rather than the U.S. Supreme Court. Challenges came swiftly. Hopefully, at least one of those cases like Antioch versus Chiamento is headed to the high court. Other Second Amendment Democrat-controlled state governments followed New York's lead. Hawaii is one of them. Hawaii versus Wilson defiantly flouted the high court's holding that the right of the people to keep and bear arms applies in the public domain, no less than in the home. Read our full article. He uh, talks about the state Supreme Court of Hawaii's middle finger to the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling. Uh, the plaintiff appellate Wilson will hopefully appeal the adverse ruling to the high court. In a third case, Harold v. Raul, um, coming out of Illinois, plaintiff petitions uh, 
the excuse me one sec plaintiff uh appellate wilson will hopefully appeal the adverse ruling to the high court um the second amendment foundation ffl licensees and others have challenged the constitutionality of the protect illinois communities act the pika illinois governor jb pritzker signed pika into law on january 10th 2023 so that's only a month and a couple weeks ago and it's already being challenged it's all packaged up ready to go for the supreme court that's what i love about this case um the statue makes illegal civilian possession of the most popular semi-automatic rifles all ak all ar and all thompson rifles the statue also bans the possession of many semi-automatic pistols specific shotguns 50 caliber cartridges and 50 caliber rifles again the solution in search of a problem how many more mr speaker must die by those 50 caliber rifles on the streets of illinois it's it's a constant you know backdoor gun ban there's no concrete need in society there isn't this epidemic of 50 caliber rifles on the streets and even if there was you know so what it's a it's a lawfully and legally owned gun unless it's in criminal hands and what is the criminal doing out on the street is the question i always ask and then secondly uh what are you going to do about it when you catch the criminal on the street with the gun that he shouldn't have probably nothing but you've heard that story before right <laughs> it's it's just unbelievable law enforcement personnel are exempted from the statute no you don't say so why do law enforcement have a special set of rights that the rest of us don't? I'll wait. <laughs> they uh, they shouldn't, right? Because guess who's the true first responder? You and I. We are really our own first responder. We, If we think that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are going to ride over the hill at sunset to save us from the villain you got another thing coming it's not going to happen but a review of the case points to a particular set of circumstances that bear an uncanny resemblance to new york's antioch case recall that the plaintiff in the antioch had filed a motion for preliminary injunction plaintiffs filed a motion to enjoin the Hokel government from enforcing the ccia the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of New York granted the motion, finding inter alia that the plaintiffs would likely succeed on the merits. All right. Good job, Judge. The New York government appealed the decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which is very much akin to the First and the Ninth Circuits when it comes to gun rights. Uh, the Second Circuit vacated the district court's order, whereupon plaintiffs appealed the adverse decision an interlocutory not final order directly to the high court the u.s supreme court did not deny the appeal out of hand but requested a response from the state the ag leticia james another fine upstanding non-partisan political operative aka hack filed the state's response and justice alito allowed the second circuit's order to stand but warned the governor not to dwaddle not to dawdle don't get comfy don't sit on your hands 
which is why, by the way, all three of these uh, Illinois cases are packaged up at the Supreme Court ready to go is because the Fourth Circuit has been dawdling. So anyway, nonetheless, the court did take its good old time, ultimately ruling in favor of the state. Well, that's a surprise, isn't it? Um, so, um, geez, I got to take this call. <laughs> uh, no, I won't. It's, um, <laughs> it was someone important. I'm dumping a very important call for you guys. So, uh, I hope that you appreciate that, but it is a very important call. Nonetheless, I'm going to have to do it on the break, on the hard break at the bottom of the hour. So, the court did take its good old time. We already said that. Other states vehemently, virently opposed the civilian armed defense have taken their cue from New York to under, understand the rationale for petitioners filing for their appeal of an interlocutory order directly to the U.S. Supreme Court. In the Illinois case, one might look to an earlier Illinois case, Beavis versus City of Naperville. Several of the plaintiffs in the instant Harrell case were also plaintiffs in the earlier case. The Seventh Circuit case is itself in consideration three cases. Okay, so I was wrong. It's not the fourth. It's the Seventh Circuit. I apologize. Um, for the Northern District of Illinois, uh, two are held by the Northern District of Illinois, and the third is the parent of the Harrell case handed by the uh, handled by the U.S. District Court of Southern District of Illinois. Plaintiffs in all three cases filed motions for preliminary injunction, either challenging portions of the PICA or in one case attacking the whole of it. The Northern District, the Southern District, and the Seventh Circuit. Uh, the Seventh Circuit is wrong. The opinion in Friedman is not consistent with Bruin. <clears throat> in Friedman, the Seventh Circuit made a pretense of looking at historical tradition it asks, why should regulations enacted 130 years after the Second Amendment adoption, nearly 60 years after the 14th, have more validity than those enacted another 90 years later? Nothing in Heller suggests that a constitutional challenge to bans on private possession of machine guns brought during the 1930s. Soon after their enactments, they should have succeeded that the passage of time creates an easement across the Second Amendment. The plaintiff's petitioners surprisingly disagreed. They requested U.S. Supreme Court review of the decision. And I think Don and Stoughton <clears throat> has explained that uh, that NFA Act in the 1930s was never really challenged to its completion. Uh, it never really saw the light of day. So that is a terrible argument to make uh, in, in their in their complaint or in their their support for their brief. Based on its crabbed reading of Heller, the Seventh Circuit felt free to adopt a test for assessing firearms ban that eviscerates many of the protections rec recognized in Heller and McDonald. The court asked in the first instance whether the banned firearms were common at the time of ratification in 1791. But we said in Heller that the Second Amendment extends prima facie to all instruments that constitute bearable arms, even those that were not in existence at the time of the founding. That's really key, right? Like, because the Second Amendment doesn't explicitly say AR-15s is irrelevant, just like the First Amendment doesn't say ink 
you know, or or uh, certain language. It has to be in English or any type of printing press. Uh, it understands technology changes. It understood that arms are going to change, right? They had already changed dramatically uh, in uh, the 18th century from what was available in the 15th century to go from a wheel lock or a flint lock or a match lock to a percussion was a massive jump in technology. Uh, to go to the Giardoni rifle, which was available at the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment, which held 22 balls, 45 caliber balls, and was a repeater. Uh, hey, that wouldn't even be legal in New York or Massachusetts at this time, right? But the fact that it held 22 balls and 45 caliber balls and Lewis and Clark used it on their expedition to a show of force to the Indians that they passed through the Indian country that they passed through by shooting through one inch pine boards. And that's why they were never attacked. It was peace through superior firepower. They felt if everybody had this semi-auto loading rifle that held 22 rounds, uh, then that could be a problem for them. Anyway, um, one would think that the Seventh Circuit would heed the message that it would have affirmed the district courts granting the injunction shedding Pritzker's PICA as patently unconstitutional, especially in light of Bruin, if it did do that. Uh, and the Second Circuit should have tossed the entirety of the New York CCIA in the trash bin, but that didn't happen either. And we see this also happening in the Ninth Circuit, where they pulled a fast one because they knew after... Justice Benitez ruling um, in the Southern District of California overturning the state's assault weapons ban when the state appealed it, it should have gone to the three-judge panel uh, of the Ninth Circuit, which upheld his decision before. Uh, but instead they said, oh, no, 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 you guys go to go to the side. We're gonna we're gonna take this en banc and make sure there's not a good ruling and they're sitting on their hands. So that's the whole point of all of this in my opinion, is the fact that we are witnessing a slow walk of the Second Amendment cases when it deals to assault weapons bans, magazine capacity bans, sensitive places, and there's a lot of action. There was another whole case that dropped today. This is like the third or fourth in a matter of weeks challenging the 18 to 20-year-old uh, being able to carry a pistol. This one, I forget what state it was in. Um, there's been so many, I, I apologize. But um, this is good news. Uh, that might have been a Fifth Circuit case out of Maryland. If I just can't quite remember. But the the perfect uh, timing of this one is uh, last week it was Georgia challenging the 18 to 20-year-old ban. Massachusetts has an 18 to 20-year-old ban. And also um, this one is uh, the state law says that at 18 you have your full rights as an adult to vote, to buy a house, to go to war, to fight for our nation, to fight in the National Guard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you could be a taxpayer, a property owner, get married, go to war and whatnot, but they say you can't own a handgun. Interesting. Second class type of citizen, apparently. So there you have that. Um, so that's another one that's hitting the 
hitting the docket and it's fast and furious. That's really what it comes down to. So what happens now? It will be interesting to see how the U.S. Supreme Court handles Harrell and the other post-Bruin cases slowly winding their way to the court from other jurisdictions. It's bad enough when legislatures and government execute offices, uh, demonstrate or executive offices demonstrate disdain for the high court. It's, however, beyond the extreme when lower courts would exhibit the same disdain. How will the Roberts court react circumspectly in a measured tone or with a few sharp slaps on the back of the uh, recalitrant federal circuit uh, courts of appeals as it should? It's time for tact, gentility, and conviviality is over. There's too much at stake now, not least of all the credibility, sanctity, and purposefulness of the judiciary. I would agree 100% with that article. I I think that all eyes are upon the Supreme Court right now to look at these courts that are in open defiance to the Bruin mandate and the Bruin uh, methodology. And I think it would really... uh, It'll really shake the trees if people, if judges start losing their judgeships over it. I think that that would be huge. So anyway, we got all that to look forward to and more in the near future. And hopefully this Supreme Court will do the right thing. All right, we're going to take your questions. I have one more article I want to talk about on the other side. So don't go away. I'm Toby Leary, and you're listening to Rapid Fire. We'll be right back. Vortex offers the very best optics, specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Toby Optics from Cape today. Gunworks. And it's time for another rapid fire gun of the week. This week's gun of the week is the Stoger STRC. It's the compact, and this one is optic ready. It's a striker fired pistol with a great ergonomic design. It has finger grooves on the front and adjustable back strap on the back. It's nine millimeter. Um, it, it is a great choice for someone looking for that first gun that they're not quite sure what to get, don't want to break the bank. This is, is an extremely reasonable price point gun. It's an import from Turkey, and we know they're doing a really good job on a lot of their guns. So the STR9 is one of our recommended guns for people trying out a, you know, guns for the first time or really looking to find that first gun. We have one for rent on our range. You can always try it there. It does have the ambi mag release. You can put it on the other side and drop the magazine. Also, like I said, it's it's optic ready. It comes with a variety of different plates. So you'll be able to put whatever optic it is that you want on it. And uh, that'll that'll be a great way to go. No thumb safety, which is huge for me. It has the trigger safety on the on the front here. Uh, so um, one last thing to worry about for new shooters, even shooters like myself who've been shooting for years, I, I don't like thumb safeties. One, one more thing to train with and, and that can fail. So awesome, awesome gun. We're going to shoot this gun, see how it goes. It has caulking serrations on the front and the rear. 
It has nice steel sights on the gun, so um, you don't have to worry about them breaking. They have a nice shelf on the back if you needed to use the gun in an emergency without the aid of your left hand and rack it off your belt or your holster or something like that. You could do that. But it's ergonomically, it's a great gun and uh, feels great in the hand. So let's shoot it, see how it goes. Going hot. guys that was pretty sweet i gotta say this trigger is amazing for such a price point gun the feel of it is excellent recoil management was great uh let's go see how i did you can see i shot a couple kind of fast and might have pulled my shots but when i took a slow aimed shot it was dead on it's very accurate i was uh this was one of my slower aimed shots kind of dead center and these three all right in the box from a reasonable distance so yeah, I'm impressed. Um, I think for the money, it's a phenomenal deal. And of course, it's an even better deal if you buy it when it's the rapid fire gun of the week. So this week's gun of the week is the Stoger STR9. Go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down, click on gun of the week, and use G-O-W at checkout for a very special savings on your very own Stoger ST9. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on Rapid Fire. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And thanks for tuning in. It really means a lot to me that each and every one of you join us each and every day and uh, or each and every time we go live. And the chat is always fun and interesting to follow along with. We comment on everything from my hair to the... Uh, news of the day and uh, some people correct me when I'm wrong which is often um, so yeah keeping me on my toes and uh, I apologize for the coarseness in my voice today but <clears throat> any nevertheless we're suffering through it together because uh, there's so much to get get through but let's jump in the comments uh, and see um, what you guys want to talk about um, by the way, our poll question uh, of the day is at Twitter, and it is, if the Supreme Court takes an AWB and mag capacity case, will it uphold the AWB and mag cap laws, B, overturn them, or C, they won't take the case? So uh, still 71% of you think that it'll be overturned, and... Uh, 29 think they won't take a case so uh still no votes for they'll uphold the awb and mag cap laws you guys are optimistic like myself so uh make sure you go over and vote in that poll i'd love to know what you have to say and also sound off in the comments as to why you feel the way you feel and go ahead and retweet it and share it so anyway um since becoming a new homeowner in Quincy, I took my first firearms class last June and haven't gone to the PD to finally get my LTC. Anything I need to know in terms in Quincy? Quincy is the hometown 
of Speaker of the House Ron Mariano, who is in love with gun control and pushed the whole HD 4420 uh, thing. But I really don't know. I think they probably fall into the greater Boston area where they're going to require live fire. And uh, so that's probably something you're going to have to wade through. And uh, they take people out to Moon Island for the live fire qualification. But we also do it here at Cape Gunworks. So if you want to make the trip down, I'll be in Quincy tomorrow. I won't be able to help you, but uh, I'll wave as we're driving by. And um, so, yeah, I don't, how ironic too, Quincy, like John Quincy Adams, you know, one of the founding fathers and how hard it is to get a gun in, in the town that's named after a founding father. But anyway, um, yeah, so good luck with that. Get your application in now. You want to do it before any new laws change and make it an eight hour or, you know, live fire. Uh, well, you probably have to do live fire anyway where you are, but there you go. Um, I didn't hear that, Aaron. Eight to 10 people shot or injured today by someone at the KC Chiefs Super Bowl parade. Um, breaking news. I did not hear that. Um, that's terrible news. Um, I hope that is not the case. And if it is, that's. That's terrible. Um, you don't think a Kansas City really is a big high crime area? Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. If uh, the show Ozark is true, then it's a big mob area. So I don't know. I'm just spitballing now. But let's see. Uh, if a regular par person is charged with a minor forgetful gun infraction, can they use the alien? illegal alien defense <laughs> wouldn't that be nice howie carr used to say i just want to be treated like an illegal alien and uh it's so true is it not so we'll see uh, uh cockroach says he was released today on bail on uh today no bail that would be awful if that's the case i i hope that's not true but I wouldn't doubt it. Um, all right. Uh, I'm sorry you had a horrible day, Noah. Um, my optimism and activism and voice always cheer you up. Keep up the good work. I'm glad to say good on that. That's what I try to do. Um, I, I certainly believe that better days are ahead. But as I predicted... Right after Bruin, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And that, I hope, does not cause people to flee the state because that would be awful. Um, I, I really hope that um, people would stay and fight. And um, yeah, but, you know, it's one of those things that just, it, it, it's, it's a terrible, terrible situation that we have, um, but it's worth fighting. So it, let's put it this way. If your First Amendment was under attack the same way the second is, you would probably stay and fight. Uh, or maybe you would move. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, and happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Um, it is Valentine's Day, and this is the 
geez, what is it? The 28th? No, 27th. 27th anniversary of my wife and I's first date. Uh, so isn't that great? Um, that's a uh, true story. We went out on our first date um, on Valentine's Day with a with a, another couple. And both us and that other couple got uh, both respectively got married and are still together. So good, good deal. Um, the funny thing is I actually haven't given my wife a Valentine's Day card yet, but I have given my daughter one. So <laughs> it's funny how things change. Uh, and Duncan, I'm sad to see you go, buddy. Um, but he says, this is my last rapid fire from mass. So we lost another one. Uh, we are losing good people, gun owners from this state at a rapid and startling rate. And I unfortunately think that's unfortunate. I would rather put a flag in the ground. I'd rather put a, a line in the sand and say not one more inch and stay and fight. I know the battle is weary. And I know um, I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, who has been on the show actually, and he was down in Arizona and visiting his daughter, and they were walking around and they were just blown away by the um, friendliness of people. Uh, they were out walking the dog, and some lady came up to them and said, "You know, can I pray for you?" And his daughter's like, "How am I? To, who am I to say no?" To someone who wants to pray for me so they prayed over her and asked that god would give them a great day and then went on their way and then you know there's no restrictions like here for carry and gun laws etc he's like man it was so refreshing to go to a place that isn't hostile to my way of life and i i'm like yeah i i get it you know i get it uh but i don't think this area is worth turning our back on i don't think massachusetts i think we're worth fighting for massachusetts is where it all began folks it's where the the whole struggle started and where it it should end as far as i'm concerned the struggle should end and our rights should be restored so um yeah that that would be amazing if if that happens um so that's the, uh, yeah, Mark, thanks for tuning in, bud. Uh, I heard you on the Grace show yesterday talk about the FedEx driver that was selling guns on the black market. I wonder in the middle of Massachusetts trying to take away my right to protect myself, right? Um, that's right. That's a true story. Uh, the FedEx driver that stole guns from his delivery route and sold them on the black market, which happened to be to undercover officers, Got a whopping six days in jail for time served. And that's that's what it amounted to. So, all right. I got a great uh, guest for you on the other side. It's uh, Rachel Maloney from On-Site Firearms Training. Some of you will remember we had uh, Ben DeWalt, her significant other, on the show a few 
probably a month ago now. And uh, looking forward to getting into this with Rachel Maloney. So don't go away. Bear with me. There might be a little tech issue as I try to port over, but we'll get it all worked out. So, um, all right, uh, here we go. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll be right back. I'm Toby Lear. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Advice and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and this is your weekly show, All Things Guns, Freedom, Second Amendment, and Self-Defense, sponsored by the USCCA and Vortex Optics. And I appreciate you tuning in each and every week. We try to bring you a stimulating discussion that is interesting and revolves around firearms. So that's what we're doing now. And I'm uh, really happy to have on the show joining with us uh, in studio. Uh, Rachel Maloney from Onsite Firearms Training. She's arguably the better half to Ben DeWalt, who <laughs> is, uh, you know, a frequent guest on this show and a frequent contributor of uh, at Cape Gunworks as far as firearms training is concerned. So, uh, Rachel, thanks so much for being on the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here and happy to <laughs> keep that conversation interesting and. Uh, ready to go with what you got. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we love having female firearms instructors on staff. And uh, now with um, you traveling with Ben every once in a while, get to come in and teach classes here for us as well. Sure. So that's been outstanding. But before we get into all of that, why don't you tell everyone what it is you do and how you started doing it and why sure. Um, <laughs> buckle up, everybody. <laughs> um, so I'm actually uh, someone who was born and raised in Massachusetts. So technically, I'm kind of back home. Um, in fact, we, I had some family here that we stay with when Ben comes to to teach mm -hmm. here. And it's, um, it's always great when I'm able to make it with him because I also get to see my family. Nice. Um, so it, it's nice coming back to Massachusetts always. And, um, so I, I was raised here, um, and, uh, I was raised in a household where, uh, my mother did not want us, they, she did not want me to have guns. Mm. And she said, anything you do after 18, once you're out of the house is up to you. So she never like forbade them. She just said, listen, while you're here, uh, too young, you can do it as an adult. That's fine. So I shot archery competitively when I was young mm. and my stepfather who shot bullseye, uh, wanted me to transition to, um, bullseye shooting back in the day. But again, that's where we kind of ran into the wall. That was my mother. Um, she was incredible. I loved her. She was just a phenomenal person. And I got a lot of my independence independence from her. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really get involved in shooting until I was out of the house after, you know, just about the tail end of my college days. And uh, the first time I shot a gun was in 2001 on a date with my now husband. Hmm. Um, I went and I shot a Glock 17 chained to the range deck. I'll never forget. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Where was that? 
it was out in the Poconos. Okay. You know, and uh, it's always funny when I tell people about this first, like first formal date with, with Ben, it sounds like the beginning of like a, a forensic files episode. Huh. <laughs> it was bad. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go cross state lines with you person who I don't know super well and go shoot guns. Nice. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of the person who I was and uh, still am. So um, we we went out and we had a great time. And um, when I left school, I moved to New York City and it was just also impossible and really needed to get my feet wet and make sure that my career was getting going and um, what I had invested in in my time. And uh, so once I kind of got myself settled, the two of us, we, we moved outside of the boroughs and then immediately got uh, back involved in getting our permits and then did the casual shooting thing uh, for probably a couple of years. And then one day um, stumbled upon uh, access to something like the Six Hour Academy. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we, were, we were like, all right, well, let's go check this out. And we hopped right into a 103. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you this before uh, you get too far down the sure. story trail. So you were already interested in shooting as a teenager, but you didn't really have the opportunity. Correct. Your dad. So where do you think that came from? Like the... Um, so my father, um, was a Marine Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my whole life, I always was, uh, definitely a tomboy. Um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, me and my best friend, Mikey, we would play GI Joe in the woods. I mean, I was never inside Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I would be like out there with cap guns out there with, I will always be sad that I lost track of a silver Uzi, water gun. Mm, nice. <laughs> it was sweet, man. It was like a one-to-one. <laughs> it was a, probably a good example of why you see those safety tips on things. And thing right. was a one-to-one copy. And then like, I still have my super soaker, my mm. OG super soaker. Nice. So I was always, always like trending in that direction. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it, it just, it just felt like it was going to be something I was going to get involved in no matter what. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know that I just just gravitated. I, I wish I could uh, tell you that there was one magical experience. Just absolutely not. It's just just kind of the way I went. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I I was um, also like forbidden to have guns in the house, and uh, my my mom was like, "No, if a gun comes in this house, something bad will happen with mm-hmm. it." And so I couldn't even have a BB gun. It oh, was, okay. It was like really wow. bad. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then I went through a phase where I was like, you know, I thought I was a ninja. So I mm-hmm. had samurai swords and yeah. throwing stars yeah. and blow guns. Yeah. And, you know, I'd run around the woods and shoot everything that moved. <laughs> but um, so I'm like, where does this come from? Because it didn't come from my parents. Like yeah. it didn't come from. And I think it was Boy Scouts and yeah. also just boys being boys or in your case a girl being a girl hanging out with boys and doing you know cool stuff so yeah uh, that's kind of neat and uh so you you did archery though as a yeah I did I did um so I did indoor uh, Olympic recurve style Mm -hmm. archery and um you know I was uh I was definitely um I would make my own bows like I would source tree roots and Mm -hmm. just make my own stuff and then um you know my 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 parents saw what I was doing and, you know, I was one of those classic like little kids, you know, I just like, all right, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. And just kind of didn't, I mean, I love doing all different types of things. I think I'd said to myself very early on that I wanted to have a lot of different skills 
And I didn't want to just do one thing until I learned a number of different skill sets. I remember telling myself that as a very young child, like there was something about me where I was like, you know what? Knights are really cool. What can knights do? They can ride horses. They can use swords. They Mm -hmm. can, you know, but then they're also looked at as being um, contributing to their community and like doing uh, really honorable things for for Mm -hmm. the people around them. And there was something about that as like a five-year-old that was really appealing, as goofy as that sounds. I know that sounds goofy, but... And so there was like this element of me that wanted to try all these different things. And archery was something that no one had a problem with in my household. And I was already making my own bows and arrows. So um, that became a a really like important part of my life. I ended up um, uh, when I was 13, I won my division for Massachusetts. Uh, And um, I didn't, you know, as a as a young kid, I I was 13. Uh, didn't realize that you could kind of like keep going. And for some reason, like I understood that there was Olympic archery, but I just, I thought that was for adults. Mm. And I think that's just little kid brain. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to do something else now, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I still have my bow. I still shoot it. Limbs are still good. It's just an old school Hoyt. Um, and, uh, you know, I still, I had to go get different arrows because my draw length is a little different, but I didn't get much bigger than the 410 size I was back then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, it was a big part of my life and, and for sure made a big impact on um, my shooting behavior and the understanding of training in general, for sure. Awesome. So fast forward, you and Ben went on a date, it sounds like, yes. and uh, <laughs> shooting chain to the bench clock. Yeah. Um, they were like these people these new york city people they're gonna be crazy and we were just like man this is a good time you know uh (laughs) it's funny the chain to the bench concept is something that i heard of that they do in like shooting ranges across the globe where firearms possession isn't lawful Mm -hmm. or legal so they have this like loophole where they can uh basically chain it to the bench then when the person picks it up and shoots it they're not technically in, in possession control of it, yeah. right? so i thought that would be a great idea for us here at cape gunworks in massachusetts and have full auto friday uh and do machine gun shoots chained to the bench mm-hmm. and so we started doing it and then uh i got a anonymous tip let's mm. call it mm-hmm. saying uh the ag's office is <laughs> investigating you they're for this getting machine in there gun shoot. Yeah, their feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, and me, I'm like, somewhat of a frustrated legal scholar. Mm-hmm. And I, I look up the definition of possession and sure. like the most uh, widely accepted possession of uh, definition, definition of pos- yeah. possession is that you can legally go home with it. Mm-hmm. So yes, you have it in your possession, and sure. you're holding it. But there's like the the component where you can legally take it Mm -hmm. home with you. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody takes one of my machine guns home with them, that's illegal. Everyone's going to have feelings about that for sure. (laughs) So that would be obviously illegal. So I'm like, there's no way they could construe that possession of a chained to the bench Mm -hmm. item is actually possession. But after consulting legal, they said, just cool it, you know, unless they Unless you're like printing money. Shucks, legal. Yeah. They're always ruining everybody's fun. I know. That's that's what they're... And I would say that, you know, if you listen to 
lawyers and insurance companies, you'll mm-hmm. never do anything. Oh my God. Like, yeah. You'll never get out of bed. Are you right, kidding me? Right. You can be paralyzed. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they, they, they had it, uh, they had a change. I think, you know, again, their, their kind of thing was, okay, we're going to run you through a quick brief and, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, they're chained here so that you can't do anything stupid or foolish. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't prevent somebody who, you know, really wants to do something right. and foolish, you know, as I, my, my little, my little sound bite, stupid loves a challenge. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you can see all kinds of really interesting interactions with with uh, with firearms. You work on a range long enough, but um, but yeah, it was a, it was still a very enjoyable time. And you know, we we sort of left there and we we're like, all right, we got to figure out you know how we're going to be able to get our path going in a state that is not necessarily very friendly. And we knew the city was out of the question. We just yeah. we didn't have the political pull or the money to be able to have that happen because mm-hmm. at that time. It's, um, you know, arguably still the same in many ways, but uh, post-Bruin has definitely changed things. Um, but pre-Bruin, it was it was a wild ride for the city. Yeah. So now let me let me ask you one question. Was this Ben's kind of first time dabbling with guns, too, or was he already a gun guy? No, I mean, he as somebody who lived in the city, um, he also he didn't have like permit or anything like that. But he grew up in Western PA. So he would go and visit his parents um, or excuse me, I should say his grandparents out there and he would be able to go shoot guns. So this was not as new to him as it was for me. Um, That was 100 percent the first time I shot a pistol. Without question, okay. that was definitely not his first time shooting a gun. Got it. Um, but, but he wasn't like a gun guy. He wasn't an enthusiast at that point. Or? Um, I, I wouldn't say that because of the lack of access. Like as much as he wanted to, right. um, he didn't. He wasn't at a point where he was ready to rearrange his life to sure. be able to go um, start working with firearms on a more regular basis. Got it. Um, all right. So you moved. You moved into mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. and. Uh, you you guys applied for licenses? Or, yeah, or? so we moved out of the five boroughs and that, uh-huh. that makes a very big difference. So um, uh, it's funny, you're talking about definition of possession, mm-hmm. right? So New York is a state where you have to have a permit in order to be able to possess. Mm-hmm. So um, not just conceal, right? In many of the other states in this country, the permit is required to conceal the firearm, but not to possess. Right. For us, our nearest neighbor that, that would fall into that under that structure would be PA, right? So um, and in New York, uh, you have to have a permit just to be able to possess a firearm and um, and truly even to even handle one. Um, that's how it's regarded in our state. So if you are traveling and you end up in the New York state area and you end up in a gun shop, don't be surprised if uh, when you go to look at something behind the counter, uh, the, the person behind the counter asks you for their permit, your permit first. Sure. They're, they're not being salty. That's just how we roll in our state. Um, so when we moved out of the five boroughs, we moved into a county. Um, outside of the five boroughs that now kind of lands us back into the rest of the state rules. And we don't have to make this a long podcast about New York rules, um, but suffice to say that uh, it's almost like the city is mm, like DC. It's its own animal and it treats permits a little differently than the rest of the state. So once you move out of it, you're kind of back into the regular state's rules. Um, Each county is still also a little different, but we were basically now in a place where we could apply for the permit and actually see um, some results of that. So as soon as we moved, we started that process and um, that's that's where we were um, kind of getting started on on our own journey. And uh, the first, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, the first two guns that came in were, were a Glock 17 and uh, a SIG 226 and 357 SIG. 
And um, I absolutely loved that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was loud, uh, but I mean, a heavier gun. So it really didn't recoil as 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 much as one might would have thought as a, a young or new shooter right. with the report that it made. So, I mean, I just thought it was a party. It was a good time. Mm. I mean, I rode horses. And I was in, you know, jumpers and definitely fall into the category of not an adrenaline junkie, but Mm. I was like, this is great. I I want more of this. I was never really intimidated by it. um, So I didn't really have that. So the loud gun was like, man, this is awesome. I want to do more of this. (laughs) Yeah, I would say the 357 SIG tamed the beast of the 40, which for sure, you know, is obnoxiously snappy, Right. you know. And uh, the 357 SIG, the first time I shot it, I was like, oh, that's that's actually pretty cool. It's yeah. kind of like a bottlenecked nine millimeter mm-hmm. down to, you know, from a 40 case. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting cartridge. And I think <laughs> it's got one foot in the grave and the other one on oh, a banana sure. peel, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's far more of a range toy. Yeah. I mean, I think within recent memory, um, one of the things that I do in New York is teach their now 18 hour basic course to mm-hmm. obtain the permit. And, How many hours? 18 18 18 and so in amongst all of the curriculum we're given you know some requirements and some time requirements but one of the things that i like to use is a uh, the video of jack wilson um, and then I have a whole lecture associated with his use of force in that, um, in that scenario. And of course he ran that, you know, and carries and, uh, and, and the safety of, of his, um, of his church with 357 SIG. That was a 357 SIG round. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's a little bit of an anomaly these days for sure. Right. Just to digress for a second, um, that shot that he took Mm -hmm. was especially under the stress that he was under yes was almost miraculous like we've set that up on our range sure 60 foot you know 20 yard shot yeah and uh you know after watching two people that he was on security with be shot right 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 so i mean it's a it's a it's a really um it's miraculous, but also to to be fair, you know, this is a man who practices this. Right, right. And yeah. and if you go back and you watch that video, um, you can see everything about his gun handling, about his movement with the pistol, about his understanding of where he and the gun is in space, mm-hmm. um, the thought processes that he follows, uh, everything about the way that he interacts with that scenario is... I would I wouldn't go so far as to say like masterclass, but you want to talk about an excellent use of force captured on video to be able to um, also show people that if they put the effort in, you are capable of being um, someone who can uh, judiciously apply um, use of deadly force. Right. right. So that is also very important because. Um, Jack Wilson, and I don't mean this in any shade way towards him, but um, he is not a young man. Um, you know, arguably not it, like the fittest person in the country. Right. And I think that's also important for, for people to see, to, to not discount themselves. Mm. You don't have to say to yourself, well, I'm out of the running because I'm not 25 and I'm not in the best shape of my life. You can mm. still be an incredible thinker behind a gun. 
um, without having those things in play. And I think he's an excellent example of, of a normal human being who took that role very seriously and practiced that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's the key. And a lot of people think that the gun is some magic bullet, no pun intended, where it's like just the presence of the gun is going to solve the world's problems. Yeah. Or <clears throat> on the other side of the coin, conversely, they cause all the world's problems. And neither is true in either case. One is you have to be proficient with it, and it is a very perishable skill. Um, and number two, got to be willing mm -hmm. to... to to uh, train in a lot of context where you're under similar type of stresses and induce that type of stress. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different than just going to the range, hanging a target and sure. shooting some holes. In yeah. Paper, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Which is what you guys do. So yeah. I, I'm sorry we did a little no, bit of a side, <laughs> sidebar there, but um, I, and the reason I did that is because I just had uh Steven Williford on the show um, who was another Texas church shooting mm -hmm hero in my opinion who uh he fired six shots and all six of them hit the target mm -hmm. and uh was able to stop a threat uh running barefoot down the street with an ar-15 mm -hmm. and uh, and confronted a guy in body armor and a ballistic helmet and was able to end the threat and save who knows how many lives sure uh, but again he was a very well trained very well uh you know practiced mm -hmm. Uh, right uh, technician if you will and certainly was had the mindset and the will that he wasn't going to let this happen in yeah, my town absolutely is, yeah and you know unfortunately we live in a day and age where we have to think like that you know yeah. whereas there i remember when i first became a gun owner say 30 years ago i'd, I'd get the nra magazine and the first section i flipped to every time was the armed citizen mm -hmm. i would read the little blurbs from newspapers mm -hmm. where people would actually use a gun to defend themselves we have no idea what their tactics were what their gun handling skills were what their uh thought processes were what the legal use of force was behind what they did all we had was a little snapshot of a threat presented itself and by this guy or gal having a gun was able to end that threat and that's a you know depends on whether they're very well trained and in some cases you could almost infer that they were not but the presence of the gun still solved a problem that could have come out otherwise very I don't, different yeah. yeah i don't think that's the best uh course of action for gun people i think we should be trained in the safe and efficient use of of guns uh but i will say people have uh defended the day if you will and through improvisation at that moment they had no idea what the heck they were doing but they did it and they it worked so it's not the most efficient way of doing it but it uh it actually did save lives just by having a gun all that being said i hope that um the responsibility of gun owners uh would be a con contagion that would cause new gun owners to say 
wow, this person shoots pretty good. Let's, you know, how'd they get that way? And ask the question, sure. well, I took a class. Yeah, sometimes like you need to see it. Yeah. Like we were just having, this is very topical for us because we had mm -hmm. some students come in and they had been away for a month because they just like life happens. And yeah. we have this regular Wednesday night in, in New York. And um, so they came back in and they were like, hey, you know, we've, we've been away. We've been doing all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but we're here, we're back. And we were kind of practicing. We were trying to make sure that we were keeping our skill set up in between when we could and one of those times we went to the range and they went to the public range. Um, and that was because that's what they had access to them in, in, in their area. And so they headed out and they they went to the range and they sent out their targets and they started shooting and they were practicing some things, knowing that they were they were able to come back to class shortly. And they wanted to dust off the rust ahead of time and just kind of check in with their skill set after having this time off. And so when they got done, there were a couple people to their left and to their right, you know, with their jaws on the floor. And they, they were like, oh, my God, we've never seen anybody shoot like you guys before. And they're, you know, they're rolling in with this this kind of idea where, um, you know, they're in a class amongst other shooters who have also been putting a tremendous amount of effort into their skill set. And they're always, you know, being pushed. Right. And so then never not necessarily like you're um, the number one shooter in all drills. So they're always kind of working on something in class. Um, they're both excellent shooters mm. don't get me wrong but you got a line of animals next to them right <laughs> they're all throwing it down and so that just pushes everybody to you know you have these successes you're pushing yourself that means you should have some failures in class that's the job of class mm -hmm. is to to get you out of the comfort zone so they get out to the public range they finish doing what they were there to do and uh, like i said they they had a couple people to their left and to their right who had just never seen shooting like that before mm -hmm. and um so they were joking they were like you know it was kind of cool because you know okay it's it's nice to take the win every once in a while and brush your shoulders off and be like all right yeah cool i did well and i was like listen you got to take those wins you should be happy about that you put the effort in that's that that skill set didn't just show up out of thin air right. that's because you put hard earned money and time into the the ability to apply that as well as you have so yeah, absolutely take the win, soak it in. Um, but also remember that you know when you do go to these types of places and people see that that style of shooting, it's hopefully inspiring them. Just like you said, to just sort of see like, wow, that's possible. And this is a normal human being next to me. Um, this is a person who's retired, right? And just kind of like, hey, I got stuff going on. Um, I you know I had to step away for a minute, and you know that person's walking up to the range like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to shoot like really poorly because I've been away. Right. And so they're walking in with this mindset and then they got somebody next to them who's just like, I, I just, I've never seen anybody shoot so well in my entire life. Mm. Um, and I think that's also important when, when people see that it's possible, it's not just about making holes in paper and that, that you can apply this force with um, effort and skill. Uh, and I think that's just also really fun and challenging because you can never summit it. You can't get to the apex. You can't be done with this. You're always going to be pushing yourself to do better. If it's, okay, I'm good with two hands at uh, 10 yards. Let me roll it out to 15. Let me roll it out to 25. Let me take a hand away, right? Let me yeah. start working single hand. So um, it, it makes, if you've got that kind of mindset where you're like, I like being challenged and that's what keeps me interested. This is the place for you without question. Nice. All right. Uh, and so, uh, by the way, we're talking with Rachel Maloney from Onsite Firearms Training. Um, and uh, what caused you to want to get into the industry? It's one thing to be a gun enthusiast sure. and just be like, oh, this is cool. I got my license. I go shoot on weekends and mm -hmm. have fun doing what I'm doing. But sure. 
what was like the genesis of being in you know the industry and sure uh you do it full-time for a, a company yeah. as well as part-time for shooting correct mm -hmm. or unless you're doing training full -time no, no so i i'm uh like the you know the classic new york uh person i've, I've got like eight or nine jobs um <laughs> it's like uh, uh I, i'm dating myself the here but the, the in living color you know the what's the jamaican family yes Hey man, you know, yeah. hey man, you so lazy, you only have five jobs, yeah. man. You know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I, again, not to get into a tangent, I was just out at Chacho and I was talking with Ursula, who's one of the pro shooters um, over at uh, at Staccato, and she's full-time law enforcement and she uses that line as well. So oh. I don't want to take it from her, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's 100% a living color reference. Yes. Um, she's hysterical and an incredible shooter and definitely somebody you want to pay attention to. Uh, she's all the way out on the West Coast, though. Um, and that's one of the cool things about that show is I get to see my buddies, but, um, you know, kind of dovetailing into your question about the industry, right? So that's an industry show that, um, I'm blessed to be able to get into and, and, and go and see my friends. But, um, my friends are also people that I work with and I, I do, um, enjoy the fact that the industry fits my personality and vice versa. Not that I didn't exist in another world, um, but I went to school for uh, graphic design, you know, your classic gun owner story, right? Um, so uh, as a female going to art school, getting out, working in the publishing industry in, in, in Manhattan uh, and working as a designer there. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I just didn't agree with some of the decisions that were being made by the, uh, the C-suite at the time. And we were on the precipice of all the digital books that were happening. And I was just like, man, you know, there's been some things that I'm just not super happy about. I'm going to, I'm going to step away and work for myself. And I worked for myself for a little while and I worked for three-ish years working for various different sizes of clients. And um, uh, there was a point at which a company who was uh, local to the area was looking for somebody who was a creative, but also could shoot guns. Mm -hmm. And they needed somebody in on their creative side to handle that so that they didn't have the HK catalog, right? So the, um, that's the reference that everybody uses because they put on the front of their cover back in the day, a magazine that was... Um, with, stacked with rounds backwards, right? Because you have a, like, it was not uncommon for the mm. photographer and the entire creative team to have zero background in firearms. Sure. And so they were really good at making incredible photos, lighting, and all the hard skills that are there to create a beautiful photograph. But without an understanding of the equipment, you can leave, leave yourself in, um, you know, sort of danger of being a laughing stock. And for a company like that, who produces really high quality firearms, you know, HK are known for not being inexpensive firearms, that was um, a, a blemish on, on their record. And, and it has become a reference point for, I think the industry to, had made serious investment in finding people who knew both worlds. Mm. And um, the company that was looking for uh, somebody to be a good fit um, was, was local to, to my area. And so uh, I went in and I had an interview uh, with the, uh, the the head of marketing, their marketing director. Um, and uh, he and I quickly figured out we had the same awful sense of humor. And I was like, oh, fantastic. I am in. I am all in. Um, if, if I can work here and, and I can start to meld my two worlds together. Um, one was a, uh, I don't know if I would use the word hobby, but I mean, it was something that I was just absolutely all over. Because mm -hmm. like I mentioned at the time, we, 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 tr we kind of made the transition from casual shooters. And we realized that oh, there's a whole training side of this. Right because we had been in a dojo and we, you know, I had, I had spent more time in martial arts at that time than I had, you know, at the shooting range. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't realize at the time that 
a civilian could go and train on developing skills uh, associated with firearms. I yeah. just didn't know it. Uh, you know, I mean, I just thought, oh, well, you had to be police or law enforcement. Um, and uh, despite this is about the time on the kind of the tail end of the Magpul videos, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I was discovering this world and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I, this is like one-to-one. -one. It's just another Budo. It's another way to develop a martial art. Right. And so um, at that point, it was, I was able to meld the two and I was like, yeah, man, I'm I'm all in, you know, I, I'd love this, this job. So they brought me in and I started doing all of the creative for them, all of the consumer facing graphics. And then I'd go on shoots and make sure that the photographer understood what we were shooting and then setting up scenarios that made sense for the consumer. Like this is real. This is not real. Mm -hmm. um, choosing propping, choosing holsters, correct um, techniques and all of the aspects that would come together to make a, a photograph that would resonate with a consumer in this world mm -hmm. who, um, if it even if it wasn't something that they knew or understood, maybe they could also use it as a template. Like, hey, this is the right way to do this instead of a goofy grip, or yeah. you know, like that would never be you know a scenario that makes sense with a light, you know, any and all of those things. So that you know, we can still lend the credence to um, anything that happened with photography instead of just taking the picture and setting somebody up. It, it, we wanted a little bit more tooth to that yeah, some so, emotion yeah, yeah absolutely and uh just also better um better show what the product was capable of as well right yeah. so um that's that's about when those two worlds came together it was the very end of 2015 okay yeah pretty yeah. pretty late as far as how long i had been involved in firearms we were already teaching at that time um we had already been teaching since about the late aughts um with oft at that time mm -hmm. and um it just uh it just ended up a little bit easier for me to talk about what I liked because going into Manhattan every day and discussing, um, you know, the low light class with someone was never going to happen, not amongst <laughs> the people that I was working with. And, right. you know, you're sort, sort of scared that you don't um, make someone else concerned about you because your hobby is firearms and yeah. because of the bias associated with it. So, uh, you sort of clam up and you say nothing and <laughs> you're right you hope about you don't that. slip up. You're right about the bias because like, I, you know, I play hockey with a bunch of people and stuff and a lot of them aren't exactly gun people. Mm -hmm. So uh, last night I'm playing and uh, I'm sorry, not last night, Friday night. But anyway, we come back into the locker room and there's someone sitting next to me and, you know, it's a little crowded in the locker room and someone um, so I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm all over your space here. And he goes, Oh, don't worry about it. I know you have guns, mm. so I'm not going to mess with you. And it's yeah. like, come on, like, seriously. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I know they're just making a joke, yeah. but that's kind of, the, it's, front of yeah. it's front of his mind. Right. right. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause they, it's like not going away. So that's going to be the first thing, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting part of life where, you know, you're, you're, you're so you're you're in a community, I guess is the right way to put it, right? Mm -hmm. You have this whole community, you have this whole sort of friend set associated with it, if this is something that you're coming back to and continually making contact with. And that is like a Venn diagram that can't ever touch. So mm -hmm. they're really just two circles next to each other, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, I wish it was not the case. I mean, I, I wish people would be able to talk and, and be passionate about this as a, as a um, you know, whether it's a hobby, however you want to articulate it, whatever word you want to use, with, um, with people and understand, wow, there's just so much more. It's not that I, you know, uh, I'm carrying a gun because I'm trying to get in fights. Um, you know, Lynn's, Lynn Givens quote is, 
is absolutely, I think, the best way to articulate it where she's saying, I don't carry a gun to impose my will on someone else. I carry a gun so that someone will not impose their will upon me. Mm. And I think that's a very, very important quote. Um, and I think it, I think it's, it encapsula- encapsulates everything. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. We're, uh, we're talking with Rachel Maloney. We'll be back after this. I want to ask her about where women fit into all this training <laughs> and uh, instruction in the industry. So we'll be right back after this. Don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. Be right back. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And we're having a fascinating conversation with uh, Rachel Maloney from Onsite Firearms Training, uh, who does some great work in the industry. She's uh, always traveling around, teaching classes. I saw her out at SHOT Show, stuff in magazines for shoots we did at night in the desert and all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, you're obviously a busy person, and, um, <laughs> and which is good, right? It's yeah. Beats the alternative. Yeah. And, and um, so... As I hinted before the break, um, you know, again, and I was really excited to have you on the show because we love our female instructors here and and our female clientele. And um, I feel like one of the best things that's happened in gun world was to come away from the good old boys club and the, you know, little women, you know, need to talk to their husband about what they should buy and, Mm -hmm. you know, should learn how to shoot and all this stuff. And I think uh, empowering women is just phenomenal. Number one, number two, they're probably one of the most passionate customers of, you know, our store is the fact that even if they're just recreational shooters, they're not necessarily doing it for self-defense reasons, buying a gun, which is what most people buy a gun for. But some of just the recreational shooters are just all in, like Mm -hmm. the female shooters come in, they don't want to just buy a gun and go shoot. They want to buy a gun. They have a friend that they come with. They have a range bag, eye and ear pro, bunch of ammo, looking for a good deal. But they're also, uh, you know, not afraid to spend some money on something that's, you know, they're going to put to good use. They're uh, they're taking classes. They're mm-hmm. buying memberships. They're, um, you know, very passionate about uh, everything around the Second Amendment. And sometimes they come into it late in life, maybe after a career or retirement or, or, you know, maybe when their children finally leave the house or whatever the case is. But um, the the point I'm trying to make is women in the shooting industry are almost taking over. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, I'm not upset about it in any way, shape or form. But uh, you know, some of the biggest influencers, of course, out there sure. doing some amazing things. And uh, ironically, I don't think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in competitive shooting world, is there even a women's and a men's class? I don't think there is, right? Well, there are. There are. Yeah, there absolutely okay. are. Um, and and it, it depends on the, the style of competition. Um, so, but I will say, 
I think uh, to to kind of sum up what you were alluding to before is that people are coming from all different directions, from all different times in life. Um, and I, I think it's also important that people are realizing, to your point before, it's not just as simple as like the good old boys and then now there's ladies. You know, right, right. <laughs> it's like it's a female shooter is going to be an individual, and they're, they're not this one conglomerate. It's just it's not yeah. just a lady. It's it's so many of those different women that you were talking about before, right. um, and that understanding that um, you know we we are are as shooters. Uh, we all have different brains. We were just talking about this with one of your employees, who's uh, a student of ours and, and friend of ours. Um, and that they have all different types of brains and all different types of uh, approaches that are needed from the instruction side, but also too, um, you have um, a number of different um, reasons why they're coming to this world, whether it is just for the challenge or they're, they're, they're retired and now they're kind of like, well, I've always wanted to get involved in this. Now I have the time to do it. Um, you know, you know, if it is coming from a situation that has driven them to better understand um, whether or not this is going to be a tool that they can apply uh, and should they need to. Um, so, of course, God forbid, but the reality is, you know, that might be something that is going to level the playing field for them. Um, and it might give them back their life. Uh, you know, there's so many different reasons, but I, I do think it is incredible to see the volume of women getting involved. Um, you know, I absolutely love what Lena's doing uh, with Sig and Rose and and just just making it, so above board that you should be able to see these events that you should be able to see this volume of women coming to this world and feeling comfortable and, and not feeling intimidated, um, not having their, um, you know, their gender reduced to a, a, an air weight revolver being handed over to them, you right. know, as yeah. the, <laughs> the cookie cutter answer, like, Oh, are you a lady? Here's this, you know, 12 pound trigger, yeah. like, 16 ounce gun that's going to be sending 357 rounds out that I can tell you a six foot four dude isn't going to want to shoot. So it's <laughs> that's it, a, it, happily that's going the way of the dodo, but yes, it it's got to be one. Of, oh, it does. And even but, working in a gun store, there's been many times. And I think I was talking about this with Ben when he was on the show sure, a few weeks yeah. ago was, you know, the, the guy who comes in and with his wife and mm -hmm. she's there and yeah. She says she wants a uh, snub nose 38 revolver. Oh and it's like, oh, she That's does. What she wants. Okay. She does, huh? <laughs> wow. Does she have a voice inside? Yeah. Uh, and she's just looking like, yeah. well. <laughs> That's what he Blink says I should get. Seven. And I'm like, how about you go for a little walk yeah. and I'll, I'll work with her, you know, we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll come up with something that she yeah, really wants. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I, I do, I do it, it is fantastic to see the amount of women coming into the into the world. And and also to to your point before, like seeing women teaching, hmm. um, you know, the, the amount of uh, people that are, are going to come in and see a female leading a class uh, and, and, you know, have a kind of a reaction to that. Um, you don't see as many raised eyebrows. They still exist. But I, I also love when you see people kind of come to the other side and you realize, okay, this is a person with knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, that's, that's who I need. Yeah. I, I need someone who has the knowledge to be able to make me better or grow my skill set um, or my knowledge, right? And that, mm -hmm. that's the job of, of the instructor. Sure. Um, and it, it really shouldn't matter. Um, their path and, you know, how they articulate things and their background are, are going to come into play. But ultimately, it, it's still nice to be able to see that. And, and for, for women who are coming into this environment, that makes a very big difference. I will never, ever, ever forget 
uh, the first time I saw a, 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 a female instructor. Um, it did happen to be at um, the academy while I was there, but she, um, her name is Hannah, um, and she still works for for SIG right now. Um, but I, I will never forget that. That was an incredibly impressive moment for me, um, beginning my kind of shooting career. And um, it, it, it just, I, I can't, like, I can't really articulate it well, but it just, it was so impressive in the truest sense of the word and where I was just like, Oh my, um, this is something that I can do. I never even, I was never one of those people that needed to see a female doing it to, to be like, Oh, I can do it. Like never really trended that way, but there was something about just seeing her, um, interacting with firearms, but also to the level of respect that her peers had for her. Um, there was no, uh, no uh, kid gloves handling. Nobody talked to her in a different way. She was an instructor just the same way that anybody else was an instructor. And that's always something that I was striving to be. So I, I very much templated her in the sense that um, I, I believe that, you know, there are going to be physicality differences without question. I am five foot two, five foot three on a good day. I'm shrinking. That's the way it goes as you get older. Um, all of my discs in my neck are like piecing out from martial arts. So <laughs> I'm not getting any taller, but there's a reality to my physicality versus somebody who is significantly bigger than me. But at the end of the day, um, you know, this is, this is one of those things where, uh, you know, you can, you can absolutely get after it and, and, uh, in many ways compete on the same level. Um, and you know, I, I love seeing across the board, there's a young lady who is now, I think she's going to college. Um, but, um, her, her last name is Zane. She's an absolute animal with long range precision. Um, and so she's also one of those people that gets out there and, uh, just gets after it and happens to be female. Um, and I love it. I love seeing that. Yeah, that's great. Um, now let me, let me ask you this. Does the does the where does your role fit in do you find yourself um training women more than men or is it mixed or is it like uh, uh you know there's still women that feel a little bit intimidated sure. coming into a gun store coming sure. in and taking a class with with a man and sure. whatnot and so uh i always joke about uh the first time i had beth alcazar come and she did a big ladies class and i think we got like 30 people signed up it mm -hmm. was huge and I went in there to audit the class for a minute. You know, I, I walked in and it was like, uh, you know, everybody's looking at me like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, well, uh, I thought I was going to sit in here for a minute, but I see that I am not welcome. So I'm going to make a note and get out of here, you know? And of course it was at this pivotal part of her class where she's asking everybody to tell their story about sure. why. Yes. And yeah. so I, um, so I was, you know, it's awkward, but I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, I know when I'm, you know, shouldn't yeah. be. So it's like the Groucho Marx uh, quote where he said, uh, I would never want to be a, uh, I would never join a club that would have me as a, uh, as a member, as a member yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not joining this club because they aren't having me as a member. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is, women sometimes feel more comfortable with other women. Sure. And then there are the, the exceptions to the rules, sure. certainly like yourself, who, um, you know, it doesn't matter. Sometimes I ask people, do you want to take a class with a woman instructor? Or do you want to take it with a man? Like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, sign yeah. me up. I'm yeah. just next class available. And yeah. so 
Well, um, it's like it's like choosing a doctor, sure. right? So some sometimes, depending on the speciality or the general, you know, someone might say, "Oh, I prefer a male or a female," right? Depending on what you know the background is, what part of the body it is, whatever, right? But the reality is. Um, I think this kind of harkens back to what I was saying before is that the female shooter is not one person. Mm. And just the same as the male shooter is not one person. Right. Everybody's going to have uh, different things, different stuff going on, whether it's like, uh, you know, the, the mental, the sports mentality, right. The sports um, psychology side of things. When, when I say like the, the trajectory of like how their brain works and, and like where they are in their path and how their connectivity with um, their fast twitch muscles, like how all of this comes into play when you're really talking about being serious about your skill set. And everybody is different. They really do um, fall into a lot of different, I call them brain categories. I'd rather bucket people and generalize people by the way their brains think mm -hmm. um, than necessarily by gender. However, um, when it comes to the question about male and female classes, right? So somebody could easily point out like, hey, that's, you know, that would never be okay. We would never want to make a female feel uncomfortable in an all-male class, right? Um, so if, you, if you were to flip the coin in the experience that you had, right? But ultimately in that particular moment, just as you highlighted, um, you know, especially if, if that question is being asked and the background is coming up in a group setting, and it's, it's a background where someone may have, um, you know, uh, been the unfortunate victim of domestic violence or of being raped, any number of like awful things that may have driven them to be more um, forward with getting involved in, in uh, defense in some manner. And, and this just happens to be the firearm side of things. Um, I can understand. Absolutely. You know, that's going to be a time where, um, especially uh, for women, they're going to want to feel comfortable and it's going to maybe be easier without a male present in, sure. in that, in that aspect. But for um, the female program that we run and the classes that I teach that are female only, which I teach classes that are co-ed and I also teach classes that are women only. Um, there are a number of different reasons why I see students in that class. And my ultimate goal, because um, I can't I can't tell you like the whys behind everybody choosing that because it's a, such a big range, right? Sure. Some, for some of them, it's a lot less social pressure. Um, but what that pressure, even what that pressure is, can be very different. For, for some female shooters who are comfortable with shooting in code environment, it's just that they don't feel like um, the need to perform is as great uh, in the sense where they always kind of feel like, all right, well, you know, the guys already think that I'm going to be a mess. And here I can just, I can make mistakes and then they can be my mistakes instead of that's a female shooter making mm -hmm. the mistakes, right? So the generalization gets removed out of the female only class where whether that's reality or just perception is, is not what we're talking about, but that person might feel that pressure gone from a female only student class so they'll jump into class for that reason um so there's that there's sometimes you have people who have had um really severe trauma and they don't want to be around men when they're dealing with this um some people have been unfortunately victim of gun crime and they're facing this mm -hmm. and they need they need that environment with just women only so that it's a little less traumatic for them there's just so many, i mean we could spend the whole podcast right. on on how people and why people come to it but my goal is to get people comfortable i find that um one generalization i can say is that i do find women um will need to develop the confidence and then get after it where sometimes guys kind of go it in the opposite direction. They'll get after it 
even when they don't really have the confidence and they'll gain the confidence from attacking, right? Because they watched uh, Die Hard. Yeah, so, sure. You know. Yeah, they're yeah. like, they're like, F yeah, this is yeah. my Rambo moment. Right? Every like, guy, so. you know, I would agree with that 100%. Like so many guys think like, I was born with a right, gun in my right, hand and right. I know what I'm doing. Like, and, get out yeah, of the way. And so then they're, they're like, and because of that mentality, my wife, when she took her license to carry class, mm-hmm. uh, my wife was a really good shot. You know, I think intuitively, what like just baseline to baseline, mm-hmm. women are better shooters than men because they don't have the presupposition and the and mm-hmm. the the whole uh, like I was born with that thing. Sure, you know, yeah. so so they they listen to instruction at first and and they apply the fundamentals better. Sure, just out of a practical yeah. standpoint, and uh, so my wife you know, was the first one to shoot in the license to carry class. And she just ripped the bullseye out of the target. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't fast. It wasn't like awesome form. Methodical. It was methodical. Yeah. And so yeah. all the guys in the class are sitting there going, oh my gosh, I got to go shoot after that. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. There were guys who would not shoot until my wife left. <laughs> It was so funny. I didn't realize that was going on. And fortunately for them, we had somewhere else to be. So after we checked the box of shooting the gun type of thing at this class, we left. And then guys were all like, oh, my God, did you see that? Like, that's not even fair. Like, she's a pro shooter. And they come in and she, you know. Sure. So it it was pretty funny. Yeah. 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 I mean, that 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 methodical mindset, right? This this idea. Okay, well, you know, I'm I I don't have anything to stand on. I'm just going to go by what I'm hearing from the instruction, whatever is, you know, coming in from the inbound information, and then they're going to apply it. And, and I do find that there are, there are, there is a chunk of, of um, women that fall into that category where they're, they need to develop the confidence around the guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're, uh, they're so concerned about what they could do wrong, because that's, that's just start, such a stark reality for them, that it overwhelms the brain to focus on what they should be doing. So sometimes they just need to be there to feel like they can be comfortable enough to to maybe not necessarily shoot accurately first is just as much to understand hey this is what it feels like to be in class shooting in front of strangers and you know potentially maybe not performing the task perfectly that's okay and just having people understand you know in the training environment we want you to experiment above all we can do nothing if you're not safe but after that um, uh, there are going to be occasions where you're going to be asked to perform a task, which means that it's going to be scored, graded, however you want to articulate it. But ultimately, the performance aspect means that we're asking you to show us what skill set you have developed through hopefully our, you know, uh, attempts to make you be better um, to, to kind of stumble over that. But, uh, you know, we're hoping that we develop your skill set from the time that we've had you to be better. And that's performance for sure. And we want you to try and, you know, uh, uh, win the drill, get the highest score, um, whatever's going on. But everything else, we don't expect you to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think also, too, sometimes the pressures are for, for, for women is just like, okay, there's just me. I stand out. Everybody's looking at me. Everybody's looking at my target. Um, and, and guys do the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Guys, Definitely. guys come into class, like if they're new in their training career, they're like, man, everybody's looking at my target. And I, I try and reinforce with everybody. The reality is if anybody has been training at all, <laughs> meaning like mm, about five or six classes in, they don't know 
what is happening to the left or their right in, in the sense where they're not worried about you and your target. They're concerned about their performance. Right. They're working on their skill set. And it takes time for people to realize that and get over that and then start to relax. And then now they can really listen to the words that are coming out of the instructor's mouth. And yeah. you see that people um, develop that maturity, but it, it just universally has to happen over time. So my goal with with women's classes is to to get everybody comfortable and competent enough so that they can go and they can practice. They can go to the range themselves or they can start to going into co, uh, investigating co-ed classes and developing that skill set so they understand and the comfort and realization that um, the only reason why people are going to look at you is if they feel like you were about to violate a safety rule. Mm. Um, that's the only time and, and man, everybody gets a hard look at the very beginning because we want to make sure that everybody can have a successful day, which is predicated on people being safe. Yeah. And if you can't achieve that, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. But if you can, everything else is just everybody's in their own lane working on their own stuff. So my goal is always to get women out into the co-ed classes. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you just touched on the three things that are like foundational in all the classes we teach, which is safety comfort and mm -hmm. competency and competency we recognize is a individual and very subjective trait it's sure. silly to compare yourself to the guy who's been shooting for eight years and he's a hobbyist when yeah. it comes to training he's been in his 150th so class yeah yeah and really it's it's a very subjective and individual thing and really a successful class in my mind is at the end of the class the uh the person is able to leave with the knowledge of what they're good at and what they need to work on mm -hmm. and more importantly how to work on it sure so that you know that to me is a successful class it has nothing to do with how fast their times were what their score was on their target what their you know it's did they improve on you know their grip and their stance and their uh you know in their their intuitive type of uh, ability to shoot the gun and, you know, working the, the features of the gun well, like that's sure. all the gun stuff. Handling, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, that's the foundational yeah. skills so that they can leave with the knowledge of, oh, I was really good at this, but man, do I need to work on that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the tools to have that. So like you said, sure. when they go to the range, they can start to practice in a way that is uh, profitable to them so that they're not just you know, Sending hanging around. a target and yeah. wasting money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which is fun to do. No, for sure. But, Everybody likes a good mag dump into trash. Yeah, but right. I'm just saying, <laughs> the reality is, it's like going to the gym. You you still want to go to the gym and have a plan. Sure. If you're an athlete, you're working on a movement. If you're like a lifter, you're working on a part of your body, right? So, and not that lifters aren't athletes, but my point being, like, if you're playing basketball, you're going to the gym for a different thing than somebody like an Olympic weightlifter. Um, and you should be going to that environment to work on a skill set or an, a, an ability with a plan. And um, we need to, for those who are in the kind of training side of things and who are working actively on skill sets, whether it's for competition, whether it's for self-defense, uh, et cetera, that you should be going to the range with a plan. Um, you know, I think uh, it's it's cool here. You guys have a variety of targets. Um, it's it's important, as, as we kind of mentioned before, to also have fun. Mm. If this is not fun, you're not going to do it. We're adults. Right. We, we have a choice. We don't have to come to the range. So it's still important to have fun while you're going to the range. But when you go to the range, you should come in with a plan if you are not a casual shooter. Mm. If you are in between training evolutions or you're in between training classes you're leading up to or you're coming back from one, you should be 
saying to yourself, I, I want to work on distance today, or I want to work on, um, you know, splits or whatever, whatever it is that you've made the choice, but you should make the choice. Otherwise, you see what happens is people kind of do step up to the bench and they're just kind of like, uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll load this gun and I'll shoot this guy. Right. <laughs> and it's like, congratulations, you functioned the firearm, yeah. but I don't know about anything else. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yep. Uh, which, you know, hey, that keeps my lights on. I'm not, yeah, no, I'm not, no. I'm just oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, No, uh, very independent of the right. casual shooter. And, yes. and, and vital, vital, vital right. to make sure that this is fun, right? Rachel, I, if someone wants to take your class or learn more about what you guys do, um, how can they follow your work and where should they go if they want to take a class to uh, sign up? Right. Well, we got a couple different places. Um, we are on social media and we do have a website. So our website is oftllc.us. Um, you can just Google on-site firearms training and our company name is spelled O-N-S-I-G-H-T. Um, and we, we had that because back in the day we wanted a mix of like firearms, but also that we are going to different sites or different locations mm -hmm. and training because we don't work out of one location. Mm -hmm. We work out of many. So if you go to the website, um, and you go into up, upcoming classes, you're going to find classes everywhere from New Hampshire down to Florida, um, Texas, uh, Virginia, Connecticut, PA, mm -hmm. like all over the place, Massachusetts, where we are right now. So there's a myriad of different choices there um so if you do hit the wall of classes um as uh, as you mentioned we travel quite a bit um it's not just me and ben it's also sean and tom who are two other of our, our firearms instructors tom also doubles as a medical instructor um, we've generally got classes going on um, throughout the week multiple times a week so right. if you want to cut it down to the state we offer you the ability to just pull a list of whatever state that you're interested in uh, training in with us so the website is the most robust the social media accounts that we have we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram um, with Instagram uh, because meta is not very friendly to the firearms world to put it diplomatically mm -hmm. um, <laughs> expect to need to type in the entire name to get the Instagram account to come up. Um, a good way to avoid that is going to our website and then selecting the Instagram from there if you want like a fast access to that. Our Facebook is pretty robust as well. Um, and it's the same thing. You can drop in the company name into the search bar to make your life a little bit easier. You can go via the website as well. Nice. Um, but you you will find us on both Meta and, excuse me, both Facebook and Instagram as on-site firearms training. Um, so those are great places for us to uh, keep you updated on all upcoming classes. Awesome. Well, uh, that is wonderful news. And uh, there's certainly plenty of availability. You guys make a regular stop here at our at our place. So uh, and you're all over the place. So <laughs> go check out their website, on-site firearms training, uh, OFTLLC.us. Get signed up for a class and all that good stuff. And take one with Rachel because... Uh, <laughs> Ben shouldn't get all the work, right? And, uh, so, no, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks sure. so much. It's a fascinating discussion, and I'm really glad you're in the industry and doing all the good work that you're doing. So uh, we'll see you around soon. And Sounds often. good. All Thanks right. for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, that's another show in the bag. And make sure you uh, go check out all of their good stuff. And we'll be here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And I appreciate you guys and uh, we'll see you soon. God bless. Take care.